0: And all the survivors of uh, the flu that's going around, it's, it's out there. I got it. So uh, don't get too close after we're done today. But uh, it's really, really great to be here. I couldn't miss this, even though I wasn't feeling well. I said, man, I, I want to be here for this because we're closing out today our, our vision series. And it has been an incredible journey for me personally. But I know for a lot of people, they've they've shared with me how it's really helped them uh, to look at do they have a vision for their life and where they're going. If you're a guest here today, I want to welcome you. It's great to have you. Uh, We've been doing a series since the beginning of the year on vision, and it is incredible to to think about the power that vision has in our lives. And uh, some of the greatest accomplishments that have ever happened came from somebody who was just they had a vision. And they said, I believe this can happen. And they went after it. And they got some other people around them. And it happened. And so uh, we've been looking at that. We've, we've, we've uh, looked at different things as it pertains to vision, vision in our lives, uh, vision in faith, vision in family. And last week, Jamie did a tremendous job talking about vision for community. And uh, I heard so many great things. Uh, I was at the Latin, all LA Latin service, did the same lesson but uh, I just appreciate uh, Jamie and his family. They have big hearts to want to adopt a child all the way on the other side of the planet to give them a future, and that's incredible. And, and today we're going to be talking about vision and finance. And uh, if you're here as a guest today, you're going to get to kind of peel back the curtain and see what we're about, how we get all this done as a service, you know, as a church, uh, where, where the resources come from. To support what we do and to make the difference in our community, the way we do, we looked at this verse. This verse uh, on in every one of the lessons in Proverbs chapter twenty nine and verse eighteen from King Solomon. Look, Look! Look again what he says here. He says, "Where there is no vision, what happens to the people? They perish." And you see that today a lot. People are not alive, they're not thriving, they're not growing, you can see the sparks not in their eye, and it's not because of the flu, either, uh, but it's actually because they they don't have a vision. And they don't have something that's motivating them to get up in the morning and say, I want to see this happen in my life. And that's what Solomon is saying. Life just isn't life without vision. And I think it's a crisis today that we're living in, is that... Not enough of us buy into, hey, God has a vision for me in my life. we're just kind of going through emotions. Here's what vision does for us, and we've talked about this the last few weeks is vision transforms our thinking. It elevates us to a whole other level. Also, you know one of the things that we talked about a few weeks ago with vision is that you can't look back if you're going to have vision, you've got to be forward thinking. It's about here and, and tomorrow and forward thinking. And then the last thing is, is vision motivates us to action. It motivates us to action to go out and do something with our lives. And I wanted to share with you, how, how many of you have taken the time to write down your vision, your vision statement for you personally? Okay, how many of you? I won't even ask. You haven't done it yet. Okay, I want to encourage you. I got mine right here. Uh, I've got my my vision for my family. I've got my vision for my marriage, and I got our vision for our, our ministry here, and I've got them written down. Why is it so important to write it down? I'm going to blow your mind. Harvard Business School, a number of years ago, they took a whole graduating class, and they did a study on that graduating class. The day they graduated, they went through and asked all the students of that graduating class, how many of you have goals, or i.e., vision? How many of you have goals? 83%. Now, let me remind you, to go to Harvard Business School, it's like $200,000, okay? It is one of the most expensive educations out there, okay? So get that kind of education, you're going to probably pay attention in class, right? 83% of that graduating class at the Harvard Business School had no goals whatsoever. And then they, they asked, okay, then they found 14% of the graduating class of Harvard Business School had goals but had not written them down 3% of the graduating class of Harvard Business School had goals and wrote them down so they went 10 years out from this graduating class and asked the question of those we surveyed 10 years ago how are they doing okay how's how's the earning Going with the graduating class. Okay, so you got 83 percent no goals whatsoever, and you got 14 percent had goals but had not written them written them down. The 14 percent that had goals had not written them down out earned by two times the other 83 percent on average, meaning they were making twice the income of the 83 percent. Now here's the three percent. of those graduates that had goals and wrote them down, they averaged an earning of 10 times the other 97%. On average, they were making 10 times than the other 97%. So, what's that tell you? (laughs) Here it is. This is a principle from the Bible. Okay? This whole idea of having a vision, writing it down. Look what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2. The Lord replied, write down the revelation, or write down the vision. Write it down. And they didn't have paper then or five by seven cards. So they wrote it down on a a tablet. Not, Not the kind we use, you know, but a stone tablet. Make it clear, make it plain. And that's one of these people that they they say, one of the the vision experts, is they say, write it down and make it clear. Simple, not complicated. So your grandmother could understand it if she read it. Make it plain on tablets so that the herald may do what with it? Run with it. So you'll go with the vision, so you'll run with the vision. And then it says here in verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false, though it linger. Meaning it might take some time. Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. How about those 3% of the Harvard Business School graduates that had a vision and wrote it down? they were doing so much better than the rest of their colleagues. And that's a worldly principle. We're talking about spiritual things. And people people make plans for weddings. People make plans for their vacation. They make plans for a lot of different things, but they really don't have a specific plan for their life. You know, they don't have a vision and a plan and their career and everything, and they don't write it down. So it's huge for us. And I hope your takeaway, if you want to be a 10-time average, on-average earner, But I hope that you'll write down because we're not talking about money, although we will later. We're talking about your family. We're talking about the most valuable things in your life, your community. And so, why not have a vision for those things? Vision describes where you want to be in the future and what it will look like at that time. And today, we're going to look at vision and finances. You know, so much of what's happened and why we're in the crisis that we're in right now as a nation, and it's kind of dragging and dragging, is because people didn't have a clear vision about how this is going to play out in a few years. No one thought about it. They said, it's all about the here and now. Let's spend it now. Let's buy now. Let's borrow from our children from the future and use it now. And that's why we're in the trouble we're in as a nation. And it's very, very hard to get out. So today, I want to leave you with this. That it's very important for you to have a vision for your finances. so I don't have any finances. I'm on the take. You know, I'm a teenager. Hey, you can start planning for your future now. It all starts with perspective. And, you know, there's this phrase called, God bless America. Isn't that kind of a crazy phrase? You know why it's crazy? Because God already has blessed America. I mean, we live in the most pro- one of the most prosperous nations in the world. Many of us have never been outside of the United States, so we don't understand this. But we, we live far better than, than any other or many of the other nations out there. So much at our disposal. And we have so much opportunity. Earlier this week, I watched a uh, pediatric surgeon who was doing the uh, prayer breakfast for the president. And in Washington, D.C., and he's the head of uh, pediatric surgery in Baltimore at one of the prominent hospitals, and he was just sharing about his experience. He grew up very poor. He's African-American, grew extremely poor, you know, single mom, and one of the things that his mom tried to instill in him, and he shared this whole story, is that you have the opportunity in this country to do anything you want and don't make excuses like you're the victim. And now... He's sitting in front next to the President of the United States telling everybody about this incredible journey, and he's also a man of faith as well. But it's an incredible testimony of the country you live in. If you want to, if you want to get ahead, you can. God, God has blessed this country. Look at what this verse says in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 3. And this is this is God reaching out to us and saying this to us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Now, I think we could say, there's a lot of things I want. Do you lack anything you need? A roof over your head, food in your stomach, even health care, so many of the things that we take for granted. We got it. We got it. And then some. And, and this, is, this is something that I want to, to leave you with today is that God longs to bless your life. All of us. He wants to bless us. He doesn't want to punish us. He doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to bless and make our lives better. But you and I have to allow Him to do that. And we have to follow Him in order for that to happen. Here's a principle that we, uh, we have in our church it's called give, save, live. And this is a biblical principle that when you have money and you're given a salary or a paycheck, what is the first thing you should do with it? And we're going to talk about this more share it, give. It. And then also, the Bible tells us specifically to save money save money for a rainy day. Don't use your credit line when there's an emergency unless you absolutely have to. Prepare for the storm, prepare for the nightmare. Prepare for the thing that comes. And then live on the rest. And this whole principle is 10, 10, 80%. Live on 80% of what you bring home. Give 10, save 10, and live on the rest. It's a biblical principle. And many of us who practice this, it it really goes well for us. And God blesses that. Here's another verse it says here about this whole idea of how to have vision for your finances. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So the Apostle Paul, he shared this, and and he's he's sharing it with the church in Ephesus. And what's he saying? Hey, you've got to figure out a way to, to, to have an income in your life so that you can support your family. So you can take care of people around you and then you'll have something left over to share with those in need I got to tell you a story when we were on the mission field, our neighbors across the street you know we, we had a, a window so we could look over the look over the, the the wall that was in front of the house and you could see kind of what was going on and he was right across the street our neighbor and there was some crazy stuff going on because You know, you ever seen the movie Fast and Furious? They had all these Fast and Furious cars that would come up and park and stay for a few minutes and then tear off and leave. I mean, there were some tricked out vehicles that would park in front of this guy's house. And then, you know, he'd come out of the house at 2 in the afternoon in his pajamas. And, you know, every once in a while I wake up in the middle of the night and I look out the window. And, you know, I wasn't a creeper, but, you know, I just, hey, you look out the window, right? And this guy, he's he's rolling, you know, with a Mercedes and with all these tricked-out cars, and you're going, man, something just doesn't seem right here, you know. And I come to find out, my wife invited uh, his wife to go to a woman's day, and she came. She studied the Bible, and she got baptized. And so, you know, in that, I, I start building my friendship with him, and he's he's you know he's a slippery dude, you know, and he. We would talk and, 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 you know, and I knew some things weren't right, but I said, you know what? I'm just going to build a friendship with him. And sure enough, he was involved in an organized crime ring in the city that we were living in. And they would steal at night, in the middle of the night, anything that moved. Cars, many times very nice cars. And they'd sell all the parts. They'd strip them down. Jewelry, you name it. And he made a lot of money. And I remember we sat down and looked at this verse because this is how he supported his family. I said, "You're stealing, you know." And it's a whole business. You got you 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 steal the stuff, you take it downtown. It was like a a distribution center, you know. You take it downtown, you break it about the car, and you sell it, and then there it is. If you ever had a car part that was stolen in your car, you knew you go exactly, and maybe sometimes buy the exact part back. It's crazy. But I remember when we studied the Bible and he realized I, I gotta change my life. I gotta stop stealing. And I gotta be a father, a husband, who provides with an honest living. Now he's got three kids. And it's amazing he lives in, in here in the United States in one of the one of the, the, the states here and leads a a, a Latin ministry. And to see how this guy is doing, he's honest, he's he's making a, a very good living, honest living. He's providing for his kids, he's providing for the community, he's providing for the church. You know, when I think about him, I'm blown away. And I think about this passage. Anybody, if they follow God's word, everything can change. And this, he's a visionary now. He wants to do this, he wants to do that. But it all started with changing his lifestyle. And, you know, I know many of us are are, are used to maybe being provided for, but the Bible talks about you need to be a provider, particularly the men. And that was something that I was taught at a very young age, to be a provider, to take care of your family. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that talk about that. Another verse is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. It says, get out of debt. What does the Bible say about debt? The Bible says this. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. That means you become a slave. When you borrow money from the bank, you work for them. You're a slave to the bank. It's not take home pay anymore. You've got to give it to the bank, and you become a slave. And so the Bible emphasizes don't get in debt. And if you're in debt, get out of debt. Don't live in debt. And we're going to look at a story today that Jesus encountered a woman that blew him and his disciples away. And it was towards the end of his ministry. And we've we've heard about this woman. We actually started the year looking at her and her sister, Mary and Martha. But this is towards the end of his, his ministry. And he's openly sharing with his disciples, you know, in just a few days, they're going to crucify me. The chief priests and the elders... And the teachers of the law, they're going to kill me and they're going to crucify me. So he's telling them this. It's very likely that she overheard this conversation, this woman, and she knew that Jesus was going to die. Her whole life had been changed by Jesus because she lived in a life of, of degradation and, and she, that many uh, teachers say that she was a prostitute. Many scholars of the Bible say that she was a prostitute and that's how she'd make her living. But this woman, Mary... She may have heard, overheard one of these conversations as Jesus was sharing he was going to die. And we'll pick it up here in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6 and 7. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, and this is like very close to Jerusalem, right outside of Jerusalem. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. Let me give you a little background. This guy, Simon, They called him the leper because he had leprosy. Jesus healed him of leprosy. Leprosy is a disease that attacks your nervous system and your skin, and you begin to lose your your fingers, your nose, your ears, and and you can die from it. it. It's very grotesque. And at this time, there was no cure for it. So anybody who had leprosy had to be an outcast. They could not live with their family or with their friends. They basically had to live on their own outside of the city. And Jesus healed this guy, and now he's at his home. And he says, I want to throw a party for you, Jesus. I want to throw a party, and I want you to come over because I want you to know how grateful I am that I got my new life, and I can be with my family. I got my fingers and my toes back. You healed me, and now I can be with my children. And so he's at, he's at this, this man's, Simon's house, and this woman comes in, Mary. And it says here that she had an alabaster jar. And these, this was a very, very expensive jar. Just the jar was very expensive. But then there was perfume in it, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. She interrupted dinner, and she opens it. she breaks open the bottle and pours this perfume on his head. Verse and this is St. Mary. Verse 8. It says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked, this perfume could have been sold at, high, at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now let me tell you how much that alabaster jar of perfume was worth. Scholars say that it was worth a year's wage. Anywhere from twenty to thirty thousand dollars. A jar of perfume. That's why the disciples were freaking out. They're like, wait a minute, why are you wasting this perfume? It's worth a lot of money. This could support a poor village, not just a family, a poor village with this money. And you're just wasting it. And then in verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Isn't it amazing that the gospel of Jesus is being preached throughout the world? I mean, you go to any place in the world and you will know that there's somebody preaching the gospel. In Red China, in the Middle East, where it's prohibited, it's outlawed, there are people undercover preaching the gospel of Jesus. Man, that's exciting. But they said, you know, wherever it is preached, they're going to talk about this woman. Why? Because she did something amazing. And whenever Jesus says this, she has done a beautiful thing. You know, I know what we think of beautiful, but when Jesus says something is beautiful, then it's beautiful. I mean, it's really beautiful. You know, and some of us can look at money as kind of that way. You know, we can't waste it, and why the waste? And, you know, you need to make sure you use the money right. And and, and Jesus, by saying, you'll always have the poor, don't worry about the poor, Just the previous chapter, he emphasized that helping the poor is essential for salvation. He's not de-emphasizing helping the poor. Okay? It's extremely important. You know, the sheep and the goats? Jesus was talking about helping the poor and the needy. So he's not de-emphasizing that, but he's also saying, this woman, what she has done, to you it seems wasteful, but what she did was an incredible expression of gratitude Basically, she took $20,000, a jar of $20,000 perfume, and broke it and poured it on his head. Why? So she could tell Jesus, I am so grateful for what you've done for me. You've changed my life. You've changed my family, Martha, Lazarus. You've had a huge effect on all of us. And not only that, people have heard about my change and there's incredible things happening with my friends and people around me they are taking notice. I mean, it's, it's contagious. This thing is explosive. I'm, I'm helping other people get right with God now. That's what she was expressing. And I want us to talk about this principle today because, you know, when we talk about giving in church, sometimes we can be like the apostles that say this. Why this waste? The very fact that you're here this morning on a Sunday morning instead of asleep in bed or doing whatever you want on your day off, you're here. You know what some people would say about that? Why this waste? Why are you wasting your time? Because they look at, this, they look at, they, they look at spiritual things, they look at meaningful things, family, life, as a waste of time. It's all about the money. And that's the way they were thinking. It's comforting to think that the disciples struggle with this. I struggle with it at times. You know? Every year when I prepare my taxes, some of you are doing that. You know, you get that sheet of what you gave to God and the church, and you go, Wow, that's a big number. And I've been doing it for twenty eight years. Add it all up, it's a lot of money. You could show that to people around and go, look at what I, not to brag, but hey, look what they would say. You're an idiot. Why why didn't you invest that? Why are you wasting your money? See, because you don't understand. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what I've received. My whole life got changed. My whole life got turned around. I have the marriage that I have, you know, Valentine's. You know, if, had I not turned to God, I would, who knows who I would be with this Valentine. It would have been a mess. I saw it coming. But now that I have a family, I'm so grateful. So for me to, to take my money and go, hey, I just want to give this to you, Jesus. I want you to use it. And, and again, what does he say about what she's done? It's a beautiful thing. You know, when you give and when you share with other people and you support an organization that has spiritual values, it's a beautiful thing in the eyes of Jesus. Other people may say you're an idiot. Other people may say you're wasting your money. But I want you to look around. A lot of people's lives have been changed in this church. And do you know why? Do you know how that happens? Because you've got people doing beautiful things with their money. And not just their money, their time. They're taking time out of what they could have been doing for themselves and say, you know what, I want to do this for Jesus. I want to do this for God. I want to do this for others. And we are who we are, and we have what we have. And so, this was a very powerful thing. And Jesus says, I want you to remember this woman. And so, today we're remembering, 2,000 years later, we're remembering this woman, what she did. Isn't that awesome? And if you are somebody who gives generously to God and His church, I want to tell you today, you are doing a beautiful thing in Jesus' eyes. Why do we give? And we're going to talk about giving today. Why do we give? In the church. Well, we give, as the Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Bring to the storehouse a full tenth of what you've earned, so that there will be food in my house. Test thee in this, says the Lord all-powerful. I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out on you all the blessings you need. It's a promise from God. I remember when I first looked at giving a tithe, a tenth of my income. You know, it wasn't a big deal because I was a college student. You know, it wasn't a lot of money. But then once you get a serious job, then it's a lot more money. And then you start to go, okay, this is a lot of money. But let me tell you this. I've seen this come true. God has always provided me more than if I'd have kept it for myself, and not just monetary blessings, friendships, family, purpose, morals, a stable life—you know—I got a lot of friends who didn't take this this road, and their life is a mess. There's a lot of havoc. There's a lot of terrible stories, and some of you guys, teen ministry—you know—you go to school and you see what's happening. What's happening to families, and you could be protected from that and go a whole different direction because somebody in the church said, You know what? I'm going to give a tenth. And we have a number of people in our church who give more than a tenth to support what we do. We can meet here, we have all this going on. We have ministers of every ministry in our church that are focused on, on building that ministry, growing that ministry. It's an amazing thing that's happening. But it's all because of the people that have embraced this teaching. But one thing that we've looked at, and if you're a guest here today, I'm not talking to you, but you can listen in. One thing that we've looked at in our membership in the church is not everybody's giving a tithe. Not everybody's being like Mary. There are a few of the disciples, the followers and saying, you know, I'm not going to waste my money. I'll give a few percent. I'll give when I can. And here's what happens when we give a tithe. The purpose of tithing, there's a great purpose, it's a powerful purpose. Number one, it's a statement of gratitude. Why didn't Mary do what she did? She was incredibly grateful. It's a statement of gratitude. You know, God, I just want to thank you this week for what you've done in my life. Here you go. Here's, Here's my check. It's a statement of gratitude. That's what Mary did. And then it's also a statement of priority. Who's first in your life? If God is first, if you've decided decided to follow Jesus, then God's got to be first. And the first thing that needs to come off of, you know, your income is a tenth, a tithe, giving it back to God. And then the last thing is a statement of faith. A statement of faith means this. I believe if I give, God's going to take care of me with what I have. I trust him. I trust him with what I've been given. And so today I want to initiate something for all of us who are members of the church. I want to initiate a 90-day test. I want you to test the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you specifically that God will show you that tithing is right and that he's going to come through and he's going to bless your life. And so in this next 90 days, starting today, you need to maybe go home and talk it over with your wife, but I want to encourage you to tithe, to give a tenth of what you bring home. This is for our members. If you're a guest, you know, I got something for you here in a minute that's going to blow your mind. Okay? But I'm not talking to you. You have to decide what you're going to do with your money because it's yours. But see, here's how I look at money. It's not mine. God gave it to me. And he lets me keep 90% of it. See, because he provides me with the energy and the strength to go out there and work and get the money and make the money, everything comes from him. So he lets me, what a bargain, he lets me keep 90% of it. So I want to I put that challenge out there for all of us who are members of this church, starting today, that you will make a commitment for 90 days, and see what the Lord does with your your money. Okay, so I want to introduce you to this guy. His name is Bernie. And you're going to hear his story. All of us have a story. Bernie's an atheist. He doesn't even believe in God. But his wife is a Christian, and he goes to church with her. So let's hear his story, if you could dim the lights. Okay, so Brian, okay. so tell us the story of uh, what happened when you
1: began to participate in the 90-Day Tithe Challenge? Okay. Um, We'll start out with, you know, we've tithed tithed in the past, and, you know, we've only done that when we felt like a church was our home, so, it was a big step for us, and when the 90-Day Challenge came up, it was kind of perfect timing, because, you know, we established ourselves, and um, really felt like our roots were starting to dig in, so, you know, it felt like the right thing to do, and... It's pretty amazing because you know, I wrote the first tithe check that Sunday morning, and the next Monday morning I got a bonus check from work that was exactly ten times the amount that I wrote that tithe check for, and I wasn't even I was expecting that. You know, I know that uh, you know for me as, as an atheist, it's it's more of a disciplined thing and honoring my wife who is a Christian you know, because you know it's our money, it's not not just my money, and I think that. For me, it's more just taking the discipline end of it. But it got my attention. It yeah. definitely got my attention. Even though I'm still in my walk like, trying to understand uh, Christianity and you know, God as a, as a whole.
0: Uh, I think we're getting there. So... Here's Bernie and he's uh, he's not even a he's not even a believer. And his takeaway is what well, we just read in Malachi three, test me in this, and I will show you. And in the following weeks are some other ones I want you guys to to watch in the coming weeks, because we're going to be talking about this during the ninety day challenge. But I want you to specifically pray. If it's been a challenge for you, I want you to specifically pray, God, I want you to show me that this is a beautiful thing, giving money back to you and your church. But look at this. Ever been in a situation where you have, you know, asked the question uh, or thought, if I just had a little bit more money, man, it would be good. Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I've done it. You know, just a little more it be college. Everything we worked out. If I just had a little more, right? It'd be in good shape. Look at this verse. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. It says, "'Whoever loves money never has enough.'" Just a little more. That's all I need, and I'll be good. But then you get a little more, and then what happens? It's not enough. And it's not enough. And people who have millions and millions of dollars, ask them, "'Have you got enough?' The great majority will tell you, I need a little more. You go, man, you got more than enough. And the principle here is they love money. They love money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You're kidding. You mean the wealthiest people in our country are not satisfied or not grateful? after they've been blessed with so much? You mean the United States of America does not feel grateful for what they, it has, the people in this country, our safety, our liberty, our freedom, everything that we have, we're not grateful for that? And then he finishes Solomon and says here, this too is meaningless. Here, here's, here's the question for you. Will you love and trust money, or will you love and trust God? That's the question, will you love and trust money, and it shows, or will you love and trust God to provide for you, to take care of you, to help you? You know, and I know in the church setting, when we talk about money, you say, well, what's happening with the money of the church? You know, this afternoon we're going to have a a financial committee meeting, and I want you to know that I don't touch any of the money— that comes from the church. None of the ministers do. We don't touch it. That committee decides how much we're going to get paid. And that committee, four years ago or three years ago, decided because our economy is, is hurting, we're going to freeze all the salaries. Because it wouldn't be right to give raises when our economy's so bad and our membership. And I felt a tremendous protection from the from the Financial Committee from that. Because see, I, I get to do this. I don't do it because of a, a career or salary. I do it because I love to do this. I love to help people. But I just want to set your mind at ease that what we do with the money is very, very important and crucial. And we make sure that we are above board on all this stuff. That no one's on the take, And there's nothing going on under the table. Because your trust is so important to us as a church. And I will say this too. We have a tremendous vision for what we want to see happen on this property. We have a vision for what we want to see God do in our church coming up in the next few years. We, we have a, a crazy vision to remodel and rebuild that children's wing. I mean, just rip gut it and put in a whole new children's facility. Why? Because it's so crucial that our children get off on the right foot and start off understanding who God is. And also for our community, that when parents come, they can see us secure, safe, and the children will be blown away. They saying, wow, this is an incredible little school at this church, and they'll want to come back. And so that's what we want to do. We also want to build another, uh, you know, uh, multi-use facility at the, the soccer field down there so we can have more meetings down there but all this stuff is going to take resources. If we will just give a tithe, everybody in the church who's a member of the church, we will have more than enough. We'll be taking care of. Because see, our financial committee has looked at the numbers. See, people give off and on. You know, they, they give one week, they don't, and it's not consistent, and, and, and they know it's not a tithe. And if you've got a problem with giving consistently, we've got the solution. And this is something that I do. You're going to get a sheet today about online giving. People that find things that are very important to me or important to them, they automate it. They set it up. This is what I do. Whether I'm here or not, whether I brought my checkbook or forgot it, it's coming out every week. It's automatic. I've already set it aside for the rest of this year. It's coming out every week. And so that may be an opportunity for you, an option for you. So today I want to call us us members, as church members, to remember what God has done in our church in the last few years. It's been amazing, and it's just getting started. We have a lot of vision, but it's going to take resources in order to fulfill that vision. So I want us all today to chew on, to wrestle with the 90-day challenge and see what God is going to do. So here's our faith and action points here. And back to the whole vision series, because today we're shutting it down. If you do not have a vision set yet and haven't written it down yet, please do so this week all right, for you and for your family. It doesn't have to be this great written thing. Well, you know, I don't know if it's going to sound right. It's not about that. It's having something in front of you that goes, this is where I want to see my family. This is where I want to see my life and my career. This is where I want to see our community, our church, my ministry. Write it down. And as the Bible promises us, it'll it'll happen. And if you're a guest here today, you've heard a lot about our church, what we believe and what we think. I want to encourage you to get to know more. If you're a first-time visitor, I want to encourage you to do the Bible studies that we have. They're called the Core Four Bible Studies. And they're step-by-step, you know, Bible studies to help you come into a relationship with God and understanding Him and His Word. And it's not complicated. It's very simple. And you can move in the direction, like Bernie, of, hey, wow, God's got my attention. I want to move closer towards Him. And then the last thing is, for us as followers of Christ to take the 90-day challenge starting today. Write that check and trust that God and tell him, tell him, show me. Show me this is a beautiful thing. And I, I believe God is going to do some amazing, amazing things with our church. And in closing, let's look at this verse. As we prepare to take the communion, in the same way, After the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. What did Jesus, we talk about 10%, what did Jesus give so that you and I could have what we have? Everything. He put at risk his eternity with God. He put it all on the line. So we really ask him that much. When you take into context what Jesus did for us, it's not that much. And so now we're going to remember as we take the the bread and, and the wine. And in closing, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That's why we do it. We're proclaiming that Jesus died and rose for us, and that means you and I can change. That means you and I can be different people, and we can be visionaries, and we can do incredible things because He forgave us All the mistakes, all the stupid stuff that we've done, all the people that we've hurt. He's saying, hey, listen, I'll give you a brand new start. I'll forgive you. That's what we're proclaiming today. So I don't know what your week was like. I don't know what the last few years of your life has been. But it's time to to remember what Jesus did for you so you could start over. Let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege that we have to give, but also to receive. God, thank you that we can receive the communion this morning and remember what Jesus poured out for us. Thank you that he died for our sins and that we have received a brand new beginning in our lives. I pray you'll use us and give us great vision for what you can do through us. But first and foremost, God, please forgive us for the things that we've done that have hurt you and hurt others. Give us a new beginning today and help us to to give everything we have to change, to be our best for you. Thank you for the great example of Mary, whose life was completely changed. Please help us to reflect a beautiful thing, just like she did with the way we live our lives. Thank you that Jesus made that possible. We remember him now and what he did for us. And it's his name we pray. Amen. God bless all of you.